0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open it to Acts chapter 2. That's where we're going to spend most of our day today. And if you are using the Uversion app on your phone, you can find today's event in there. Um, if you scroll all the way down to the end of today's Uversion event you're gonna find a link to to our series which starts next week on the book of Revelations. So Revelation, sorry, can't believe I just said that. Actually, I know why I said that because we've called the series Revelations because that's not the name of the book. So um, you will find a teaser link at the bottom of your YouVersion event today to our series on the book of Revelation which starts um, next week. So one of the things I love about Our church movement, the independent Christian church, independent Christians, uh, Church of Christ, is that independent strain that we have. We're not a denomination. We don't have a hierarchy over us uh, kind of telling us what we have to do, telling us what we're not allowed to do. We just have this, we're independent. Um, Our elders lead in the church and we get to preach on the things that we feel like are beneficial and necessary um, to our particular church, but that's not the background of the church that I grew up in. I grew up in a Presbyterian church. I grew up in, in a denominational church. So I heard, I heard lots of things, like we celebrated different things at different parts of the year. Um, one of the things that I found as, as a people who are from the independent side of things, um, we are largely as independent Christian church, Church of Christ people, we are largely ignorant of the way the rest of the church celebrates different things. Ignorance is not a bad thing, it just means you don't know. Christian church people, we are largely ignorant of how the rest of the church world celebrates Christianity. So I have, I have an example of that. When I was in Bible college, um, I was in an online online web forum and one of the assignments for our class was we were supposed to look at the Apostles' Creed, we were supposed to study the Apostles' Creed and then we were supposed to write and reflect on it. What does the Apostles' Creed mean for us as Christians? And I'll I'll never remember as I was scrolling through this web forum of responses of of some of some of my classmates, one of them said something like, I believe every part of this, I understand every part of this, except for the Holy Catholic Church part. Well, I looked at the Apostles' Creed because we had been studying it, and actually I didn't really have to look at it, but I went back to make sure there wasn't something I missed. The interesting thing about the Apostles' Creed when it talks about the Catholic Church, it's little c. And what the little c Catholic means is universal. And I remember thinking to myself, how, how can someone who is studying to be a minister not know what the word Catholic means? That we would be offended by a word that means universal. Now, I know cultures change and meanings of words have changed, but I was, I was really bothered um, when, I, when I saw that. I couldn't believe that level of ignorance, honestly. So over the past few years, you've known... As, as you've been here with me over the last several years, we've done a few things. We celebrated Advent a few years ago. And I think we found that Advent wasn't so bad, right? When you heard we were gonna do an Advent series, some of you I know were skeptical. Why are we celebrating something like Advent? Last year, right before shutdown, we, we did things with other churches in town. We celebrated Lenten lunches. And I know, because I have my ear to the ground, there was some discomfort. Why are we celebrating something like this? What I found is it's really easy for us to not like things that we don't understand. And I don't want to use the word fear because that word gets used a lot in our culture incorrectly. But I think there are things that we don't, we don't understand. So it's easy for us. We, we see Advent, we don't know anything about it, and... So we, we put it in a, in a corner. We hear the word Lent, we don't know anything about it, so we put it in a corner. And today we're gonna talk about Pentecost, which again, you may be like, I don't even know what that is. Well, I'm glad because that's what I spent the last couple weeks working on was today's message. Um, we were in small group. One of the things that I want you to know about, about small groups here at Westway Christian Church is you have the potential, the potential to determine what we talk about on a Sunday morning in small group. We were, in, we were in our Thursday night small group. This was, I think, six months ago. We were talking about communion from, from 1 Corinthians 11. And then we went back to Acts chapter two, which is gonna be our text today. And we, we started talking about Acts chapter two and we started reading through it and we got through the first 11 verses. And then my wife says, um, hey, Pentecost seems like a pretty important day in the church. Why don't we celebrate it? And Being the good pastor that I am, I looked at Scott Marsh, who's one of our elders, and I said, yeah, Scott, why don't we celebrate Pentecost at Westway? So then, as soon as we had had that conversation, uh, the next day, I looked at the calendar to see when Pentecost Sunday was, when churches all around the world were going to celebrate Pentecost. And I just made the decision, we're going to talk about Pentecost that day. I think in our desire to be independent, what that has a tendency to do is to remove us from history, to remove us from the, from the historical, foundational underpinnings of our faith. And I know that not everyone in the room has a, has a Christian church or Church of Christ background. So you're like, what in the world is John even talking about? So this, was, this is for really my Christian church, Church of Christ friends in the room. Like we have only been around for a little more than 220 years as a movement. And, and Barton Stone and Thomas Campbell, I know that those names mean little to most of you, but Barton Stone and Thomas Campbell didn't parachute in in 1790 and not have any historical background for who they were as Christians. They were Presbyterian ministers, and if we think for one second that did not that, that didn't impact who they were, that that didn't impact their understanding of Christianity, then then, then we are missing a pretty significant boat. So today we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about Pentecost and. Acts chapter two, and here's here's the background. Jesus has lived, he's been crucified, he's been resurrected, and he has ascended to heaven 40 days after the crucifixion. And he did that right in front, front of his disciples. And before he left, he gave them the great commission. We've talked about that a number of times over the past several weeks. But then he also told them to return to Jerusalem and wait until the Holy Spirit descended upon them. They'd receive power, then become his witnesses. And here's what what witnesses means. Here's how Jesus would have defined the word witness in Acts chapter two. Telling the people all over the world about Jesus. That's what it means to be a witness. To tell other people what you've seen. So they return to Jerusalem. They pick an apostle to replace Judas. His name is Matthias. If you've never heard of him before, that's because he's never mentioned again in the book of Acts. And then they wait. Here is Acts chapter two, verse one. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. So what was Pentecost? Why were they they meeting? What were they doing there in the room? There's a little background. According to Leviticus 23, there are three main Jewish pilgrimage festivals that required that every male, if they could, they were to go to Jerusalem to celebrate. The first of them was the festival of unleavened bread. The second one was the festival of weeks. And the third one was the festival of shelters. I'm gonna talk about these a little bit out of order. The Festival of Shelters, they would build tents and they would live in them for seven days. And this would allow them to commemorate their years of wandering from the book of Exodus. Has anyone been watching season two of The Chosen? If you've seen episode four, they were celebrating the Festival of Shelters in episode four of season two of The Chosen. Then there was the Festival of Unleavened Bread. Another word for that is Passover. You might be more familiar with the festival of Passover. Um, This was a festival of first fruits at the beginning of harvest. And this was the first Sunday. Don't miss the timing of some of these festivals. The festival of first fruits was at the beginning of the harvest. It was the first Sunday after the Sabbath during Passover week. Question, does anyone remember what happened the first Sunday after Passover week, the week that Jesus was killed, he was resurrected. They would take in the Old Testament, all these Old Testament Jews and Jews in the New Testament, they would take the very first cut of grain to the temple as an offering, and they were not supposed to eat until they did. So it's harvest, they go out, the very first, the very first grain they take, they were to, they were to bundle that, They would take it to the temple and offer it up as worship of God. And they weren't allowed to eat again until they did. But they would also bring um, a lamb, four quarts of flour, and one quart of wine. They would do this every year at harvest to celebrate first fruits. And then there was the festival of weeks. This was the third one. This was celebrated at the end of harvest. And it took place 50 days after that Sunday, after Passover. Follow along with the timeline here? The word Pentecost is the Greek word for 50th. So when we, when we read Acts chapter two, verse one, on the day of the 50th, is essentially what that, were, what that would say in English if Pentecost wasn't there. On the day of the 50th, this festival was a full on celebration. They'd bring two loaves of bread, seven lambs, one bull, two rams, grain and liquid offerings, a male goat as a sin offering, and two male lambs as peace offerings. So I want you to notice the difference. The day, Sunday after Passover, first Sunday after Passover, first fruits. First Sunday after Passover, Christ rises. Fifty days after Passover, a full-on celebration, a full-on offering. And by the time of the New Testament, the Jewish people were also celebrating on Pentecost. They were celebrating when Moses gave the law on in the book of Exodus. So, so there are lots of different things that are going on here. So when we think of that question, we read this, on the day of Pentecost, all the believers are meeting together in one place, right? We ought to ask the question, why were they meeting? Well, it was a celebration. It was the Festival of Weeks because these Christians weren't even Christians yet. They were Jews who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they're celebrating the Festival of Weeks and they're following Jesus's instructions to wait. Let's uh, let's keep reading. Verse two. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, yet we hear them speaking in our own native tongues. Here we are, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, people from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, and we hear all these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean, they asked each other. But others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk, that's all. See, when we read this text, we're tempted to get caught up in this tongues piece, right? We're tempted to get caught up in the languages. And this isn't isn't some super secret spirit language that the apostles and the believers that day were speaking. Jews from all over the world had come to gather for Passover. So there was this moment, there's this opportunity. So God, through the Holy Spirit, gives these believers, gives these people The ability to speak the nation, the languages of the nations gathered. That's all that's happening. And I don't mean that doesn't minimize it. But that's all that's happening. There is, and that's amazing, but they're not talking in some super secret spirit language. They're just speaking the the languages of the nations that were gathered. Don't miss the connection between what's happening and the festivals. The Sunday after that year's Passover was the Sunday of first fruits. Christ was resurrected. And both John and Paul would later call Jesus the first fruit of the resurrection. So the timing on this really matters. And now 50 days later, the festival of weeks, the full celebration is taking place. All of the apostles... And soon, all 3,000 of the people who are going to be converted on this day are going to have the same spirit that dwells in Jesus, that is from God. They're going to have that same spirit dwelling and living within them. And I want you to see the connection here. This This isn't an accident. It's not a coincidence. God is organizing and orchestrating what's taking place because the Old Testament is not just some old book that we don't use anymore. It matters, it's important. It sets up everything that we're reading in the New Testament. The apostles, of course, are accused of being drunk. And I love what Peter says. Peter stepped forward with the 11 apostles, this is verse 14, and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem. Make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early for that. I love, like I love, I love, I love that Luke got that. Like I just, I, just, I love just the, the, I'm sarcastic, so I love the sarcasm. Uh, I, just, I just love that Luke captured what Peter was saying. No, what you see, they're not drunk. What you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. And then he quotes Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. And I will cause wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and clouds of smoke. The sun will become dark and the moon will turn blood red before that great and glorious day of the Lord arrives. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here's here's what Peter's doing. he's, He's connecting the gathered people to the prophets specifically the prophet Joel. One of the things, if you were to read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're gonna see constantly Jesus confronting the expectations and the understandings of the Jewish people in three areas. Who their king is, who their prophets are, and who their priests are. And if you remember from our series on Hebrews several years ago, Jesus is the perfect one of all of those three. So Peter here is is confronting their understanding of who the prophets are, that they would have lifted up, lifted up, that they would have elevated. He's saying, look, the prophets that you all know, they they weren't only talking about themselves, they were talking about someone else. Keep reading. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful miracles, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen, and his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. With the help of lawless Gentiles, you nailed him to a cross and killed him. But God released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life. For death could not keep him in his grip. I want you to see that, that all of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus, all of them, are finding their fulfillment in the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus Christ. The entire Old Testament is about Jesus King David said this about him. I see that the Lord is always with me. I will not be shaken for he is right beside me. No wonder my heart is glad and my tongue shouts his praises. My body rests in hope. For you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your holy one to rot in the ground. You've shown me the way of life and you will fill me with the joy of your presence. See, what Peter's doing is he's continuing this this ministry and this message of Jesus. As great as David was, there's one greater. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still here among us. So as great as the people thought David was, and David was. What Peter's saying is, I don't know which direction he would have pointed. I imagined in my mind's eye that Peter pointed in the direction of David's tomb. But he was a prophet and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead and we are all witnesses of this. The reason that Peter says that we are all witnesses of this is, is many of these Jews, when they were there for Passover, they wouldn't have returned home. See, for us, like Ann and I did this last week. We went to Cheyenne last week. We left on Friday in the afternoon. We drove 100 miles in like an hour and 45 minutes, right? We stayed overnight at a hotel. And then we got back in our car and less than 30 hours after we returned home, we drove another 100 miles did that in two days. That would have been unthinkable in this time. So these people, rather than, rather than being gathered for Passover, return home, and then come back for weeks, they would have stayed. So these gathered Jews, they likely would have been present when Jesus was crucified. God raised Jesus from the dead and we're all witnesses of this. Now he, Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out on us just as you see and hear today. So what Peter's doing, he's not telling them anything new. He's not telling them anything they don't understand. That's not entirely true. He's telling them something that they've read about, but he's explaining it to them. For David himself never ascended into heaven, yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, sit in the place of honor at my right hand until I humble your enemies, making them a footstool under your feet. So what Peter's doing here is he's he's taking all of the writings, because this, this wasn't Peter's full speech. I don't know if you knew that. Um, Luke wasn't there that day. Luke talked to people who were there that day. So he wrote down what they said that Peter said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's how, that's how that works. But he's telling them what, they, what, what it meant. The prophet's that that you Jews love and honor, they were talking about Jesus. King David, whom you love and honor. David was talking about Jesus. And although there's not really any mention of the law, because that was a that was something they celebrated, there's a context for that. And he's He's telling them the three things that as Jews, you have based your faith on. The law, the prophets, and the kings. They're all about Jesus. They've always all been about Jesus. Even though you didn't know they were about Jesus, they were about Jesus. How do you think they responded to that. So Peter builds up Jesus. He's the person the law talked about. He's the person the prophets talked about. He's the person the kings talked about. Verse 36, so let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. Can you imagine the weight that would have had to have been on their souls in that moment? Actually, we don't have to imagine because we can read about it. It's the very next verse. Can you, can you imagine for a moment if everything, if, if you had been told that everything that you ever believed in as your means to access God was fulfilled in someone that you killed? Peter's words pierced their hearts and they said to him and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? What can you do? What could this this gathering of people, 50 days post-crucifixion, resurrection, and ascension, what could they do? Peter says this, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the Holy Spirit, and I'm gonna paraphrase. And what you see happening in us is available to you. This this hope, this new life, this power that you are seeing evidenced in, in what's taking place right now, this is available for you. So a little later, it says, he continued preaching for a long time. Strongly urging all his listeners, save yourselves from this crooked generation. See, that's, that's really the message here. As I was looking through this text, I, I told you that one of the things I do when I study the Bible is, is I underline words that are used multiple times. Because I feel, like the, I, feel like the, I feel like God, through the author, is trying to tell me something. And one of the words that I saw nine times was the word you in this text. If you want to add yourselves to that, that makes it 10. See, this is, this is a personal message. He's talking to these people on that day. See, these are people who, who heard the prophecies about this Messiah um, interestingly, the, the text where, where he quotes David, the Lord said to my Lord, like Jesus himself talked about that text during his ministry. So there was this gathered people who had heard the prophets, had read their words, had heard the law, had worshiped God through all of the, all of the, the priests and the temple and all of those rituals and rites. They knew all of these things as a gathered people, but they neither had eyes to see or ears to hear what God was saying to them. They couldn't put it together. The other night in our, again, it was in our Thursday small group. We were talking, um, I don't remember which text we were talking about, but someone said something like, how come the people just didn't get it? And the first thought in my mind was, Well, I don't want to be a cynic, but I stand in a room in front of a whole bunch of people on Sunday morning that I'm sure some of them get what we're talking about. I love you. I love you. But I've been doing this long enough to know in a room of this many people There are people who don't have eyes to see and ears to hear anything that we're talking about. And it just goes right over their heads. They hear the things we talk about and the things we proclaim in song. And we we talk about when we take communion week in and week out and week in and week out. And it makes no difference in our lives. And the question is at that point, like how are we any different from these Jews who are just going through the motions. And what they need is someone to explain it to them. And that's what what Peter does. He explains it to them. The final verses, and like these are the money verses for us. When we talked about this text on Monday morning in our staff meeting, we read all the way through Acts chapter two. We had like an hour and 10 minute long Bible study with our elders. Um, we've had some really great um, elders meetings in the four years that I've been here. I think last Monday's was my favorite. because so we just talked about the text and we stopped. Joe was reading and he stopped at 2.41. At and Mike said, you stopped right before the most important part. And I think he was saying that, we haven't had a conversation about this, so I'm gonna project. Like we in, so we in the Christian church, Church of Christ, we tend to focus on Acts 2.42. As if everything that happened before it had nothing to do with the church. So I'm only gonna give it lip service. The final verses of this chapter deal what happened next. They form a participation community centered on God and demonstrated by their love and their concern for one another. That's what they did next. And others join and the group grows daily. So what do we do with this? This is the point I get at every week as I'm working on my message. I ask myself the question, oh, why would anyone care about this? This is just history. History. What does it mean? The apostles empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit tell everyone they see about Jesus Christ. We tend to read Acts chapter two and we think it's all about the Holy Spirit. It is, but what do the people do after they receive the power of the Holy Spirit? They talk about Jesus I wish we did two-hour sermons because we could talk about John 14. We could talk about John 16. I want to encourage you to go to the YouVersion app This week, as as there are additional study questions that are focused on John 14 and John 16, where before Jesus leaves, he tells the disciples, hey, there's an advocate coming, there's a counselor coming, there's someone else coming, and he's going to do all of these different things. And one of the things that that the Holy Spirit is going to do when he comes upon you is he's going to point people to me. And that's what we see here in Acts chapter 2. The spirit descends. When I was in the Presbyterian church, we did this because that's the tongues of fire. The spirit descends and they go out and what do they do? They tell people about Jesus. They don't live quiet and peaceful lives shut up in their homes in the hopes of that non-Christians will see something different about them. They go out and they proclaim. For those of us who are Christians in the room, I have Romans 8, verse 11 for you this morning. It says, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as Christ raised Jesus from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. So we've heard this. I I shared a couple weeks ago. I have four sermons. I still don't know what the fourth one is. But number two is we are called to proclaim Jesus as Lord. So because we have the spirit living within us, our role is to proclaim Jesus as Lord. We are to go into our homes and our grocery stores and our places of business and the sports fields where our kids play on social media and we are to bear witness about Jesus Christ. And that means we tell other people about Jesus. We don't just float a verse out there and hope that someone's gonna read that verse and they're gonna be converted. We tell people There are gonna be times where people are going to be amazed and perplexed by what you do in that. And there are gonna be other times where people are just gonna think you're a drunk moron. But our task is the same. Our role is to talk about Christ, who he was and who he is and why he came. To talk about the hope that is within us. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. To tell other people about Jesus. For those of us who are Christians in the room, we see Peter proclaim Jesus. And then at the end, in Acts 2.42, through the end of that chapter, we see the church empowered and filled by the Holy Spirit to go out and do something. To leave their walls and to fulfill the work that's been done, started by Christ we are to act together to demonstrate the hope and the joy and the peace and the action of Christ. That's, that's why we exist, is to proclaim Jesus as Lord. And if you're a Christian here, my question is, are you boldly witnessing for Jesus? Are you boldly proclaiming him as Lord? Because there is not, there's not an asterisk by your name. In, Lamb, in the Lamb's Book of Life, which we're gonna talk about over the next 10 weeks. There's not an asterisk by your name that says doesn't have to witness to anyone. So don't hold it against them because I told them they didn't have to. See, we're, we're not immune to this. The mission that Jesus has called us to requires more than 75 minutes on a Sunday. We can't fulfill it. Christ didn't die for that. The Holy Spirit has come so that we would have life. And for those of you in the room who who are not Christians, you've never made this decision to follow Christ. It's the same exact invitation that Peter gave to the people that are gathered. See, we can... We read these stories, these, these actual events in the Bible so that we don't have to go down the same path as the people in the story did. Jesus suffered and died so that we wouldn't have to suffer and die, so that we would have eternal life. And what you're invited into is a life of meaning and purpose. That's the hope of the cross. See, each one of us knows one way or another, you are aware that we are living in a wicked generation. Even if you're not a Christian, you have some concept of right and wrong. You have some concept of wickedness. And the question is, are you gonna turn from that? Are you gonna see and recognize your part in the wickedness you're claiming autonomy for yourself and submit yourself to God. The things that you feel badly about in your life have been bought and paid for by Christ. We say this all the time. You cannot out God's grace. No matter what you've done that thinks cuts you off from God, it hasn't. And if you don't believe that, read the Bible. Because what you're gonna see is person after person after person who is a pathetic loser. A person in need of God. A person in need of hope. And when I read the stories of their failures and their faults, I'm like, I'm in pretty good company because I'm terrible. And God sees me not because of who I might become, but because who he is and he has compassion on me. And he offers me grace. And if you're that person that's never made that decision, repent of your sins and turn to God. Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you, your children, and those far away. Save yourselves from this wicked, crooked generation. And see, once you've made this decision, then you can be a proclaimer. Then you can join in on freeing people from the sin that entangles and ensnares them. Isn't that an awesome invitation? To be able to give people hope beyond just read this self-help book, but actual hope that's found in Christ. When you become a follower of Christ, you can become a proclaimer and the Holy Spirit will dwell within you and you can share this good news with others. If you've never made that decision, I wanna invite you to do that today. If you don't know what that looks like, come and see me afterwards. I'm always up here. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful for your word. I'm thankful that you give us the church, things to celebrate, things to join in with believers all over the entire world to come together and do together. For those who do not know you, I pray that you would work on their hearts, that you would work to reveal to them the reality of who Jesus is, and that they would make the choice and the decision to follow you. For those of us who do know you and are not living out the life of proclamation that you have for us, God, convict us. Help us to see that we are all called to participate in your mission. It's in your son's name we pray, amen.